Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. What is going on, Vigor Life Podcast? And listen up today, solo episode, just me. No interviews, but topic, education time. So I'm going to dive pretty deep, pretty deep into the Athlete for Life program design template. Uh, Essentially run you through uh, not only, listen, I actually use this, uh, I would say a lot of this with training athletes at the highest levels. um, And we're talking about, you know, whether it's Cy Young Award winners or elite NFL guys, UFC guys. But this is actually a model that can be transferred to, it's the way that I train, it's the way that uh, essentially I train a lot of folks that want to have the show and the go, um, meaning look the part and also have the performance, the athleticism, but do it in a joint friendly way that doesn't beat you up over time. Because I do have the, um, I would say the experience of, you know, training really hard, playing uh, basketball for a long time, all the way up to the pros, to high level pros. And you're dealing with a lot of injuries, a lot of issues, um, and just learning through studying everything there is to study, you know, about training a better, better way and be able to continue to perform at a high level, but without uh, the nagging issues. And what's great about it, you know, I've had some pretty serious injuries, especially to my low back. Uh, I'm 41 going on 42. And I would say I'm probably one of the fittest times of my life. Doesn't mean that I have the highest PRs in a deadlift, even though I can still deadlift a lot or, you know, I don't even barbell back squat. Uh, I don't have the highest bench I've ever had, even though I can bench quite a bit, but I have some of the highest numbers and fitness levels um, I've ever had in my life. And without, you know, being beat up or having all these issues. So it, you know, this is kind of the framework and philosophy of uh, program design from that lens. And we'll give you a, a lot, you know, that you can use practically use inside of, um, I would say your coaching for yourself, or if it's for your clients, whichever one you choose to do. Um, with that said too, I, I wanted to let you know that this week when this drops, uh, will be the launch of my small group personal training mastery course, which I think is, uh, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm going to be biased here, but it's 16 years of my, uh, you know, I've been doing small group personal training. I feel like I've created a program design model that is, you know, the, the most practicable, usable, results-driven, business-growing model there is, uh, period. And the the course gets you 12 months of my programming, like literally the whole 12, like last year's, all of my programming that I did for small group last year is in there, really nicely organized, videos attached to it. I mean, basically done for you. You can plug and play it. Um, along with a 60 page ebook that is the system of small group, you know, teaching you how to run world-class, I would say group training sessions. There's even links to podcasts on how to sell the best, how to do orientation, sales strategies, uh, how I write the program design, how to execute the sessions, even a business section on how to launch market and grow it. And, and not only that I'm doing for this, uh, for this launch, I'm actually doing four weeks of live training. So every week there's going to be a live training with me that breaks down every one of those like in detail. So I'll tell you how to execute. I'll uh, show you how to write your own programs. I'll show you how to uh, write world-class trainings, uh, r- run world-class group training programs, and also how to market and promote it. And you, you'll be able to ask uh, questions and drop the questions in there as well. So that's launching uh, this week. I'm going to put the links in, in the, I would say the, the show notes 
Uh, you'll get the link for that. You can check it out uh, highly. It's like, if you're a coach uh, and you run any type of business solo or you have a gym, like this is a no brainer. And honestly, like <laughs> what we're launching it at, I'm kind of slapping myself in the face. We're probably going to, you know, within two weeks, we're going to bump the price up significantly because um, it's an absolute steal. So with that said, I'm going to go set it. I'm, the, I'm my own sponsor of this podcast today <laughs> with my own course, my own product. Um, with that said, let's rock and roll. Let's let's go. Let's go first into um, a. I actually did a little bit of little video on this, but I'm gonna dive deep into it. Um, the five steps, kind of like a five step process for writing training programs, you know. And I think this goes for anything. I don't care what your kind of template is. I think this is the way to go about it in a good framework. Because I think I think a lot of coaches, you know, when I when I talk to teams and gyms and, and coaches they don't go through a process like this. So I think this is going to be very helpful, but step one in that five step process is determining the training template, right? Because you got to take into account pieces, you know, of information from your clients, uh, which you would gather through, you know, writing any training program. I do a client intake form um, that I have that I send out. It's in type form. Uh, there's 33 questions. It usually takes people 15 minutes to fill it out. Um, but some of the things that you want to find out, you know, to, again, you should have your own form or you could just do it through email. Or again, if you're in person, you should ask clients about this, but your clients prefer training schedules. Cause you know, when you look at, you know, even at bigger ground or in general, if you're writing online programs, there's folks that are like, look, I can do three days a week of strength training. Like we have people that are like, I can do strength training twice a week. I can do cardio twice a week. I, you know, by myself, you know, written out program, but I can come to the gym and do strength training twice a week. So if they can do twice a week, guess what? In that case, you're going to write a twice a week strength training program, right? Um, so you got to find that out. Not like what you think would be optimal, but what's the preferred training schedule and what's what's possible, right? What's optimal, like what for their lifestyle, their schedules um, and everything else. Then you got to know their training history, okay? Do you got some people that are, I would say, intermediate. They've been training for years. They're self-sufficient in some ways. They understand some stuff. You got folks that got a lot of training injuries. Uh, you know, I also get a lot of pros that, and former pros, you know, that are coming to me going like, I've been in the league for like 11 years. You know, I got this, I got this, I got this, right? So you got to write programs that are going to work around that essentially and still get them to their goals. Because then number three is they like, got to get their goals, right? So you got to get their training schedules. You got to get their training history. You got to figure out their goals. Like what is their point B on the GPS? Um, because again, that's what I, this is my favorite explanation of this is always going like, hey, look, you are here on the GPS. We're in point A. I'm going to try to get you to point B. And I'm going to try to work on doing that through these, you know, restrictions that you have in life, which might be training schedule, past injuries, um, time available to train, so on and so forth. So you got to get their goals. You got to get their point B. So you know how you can map out that path on the GPS. And then you got to get other key factors, like how stressful their life is outside of the gym. Like I can't tell you, and it's, this is not just, this is any client, right? And legitimately I'll tell you like, okay, I'll give you a couple of examples in real life. Okay. In real life, um, a client that's, uh, you know, actually like this, she changed, she changed job slash positions still in that field, but was doing night shifts at like, you know, ER. We're talking about not only sleep schedule where, you know, three, four nights a week, you're working through the night and then you're sleeping through a day. And then other nights you're trying to sleep through the night, which is a crazy wacky schedule. And then you're also dealing with people dying, right? I mean, we're talking about massive trauma you're seeing all the time. And, you know, uh, I took over 
and she was doing uh, programming uh, years ago. And, you know, she loves training. So she was training a lot and constantly having some nagging stuff going on. You know, we changed it to where, where she was still training the same amount of days, but we cut down the amount of days she was doing higher intensity things or, you know, hard, like harder strength training um, dramatically and her results like skyrocketed, right? Because again, we were taking into account those factors, you know, outside of the gym. Then on other end of the spectrum, I had a high level uh, NFL player that, you know, had a short timeline. We're talking about six to seven weeks to get in really good shape, uh, prepared for, you know, being on the field uh, in, in preseason. So, but just had a kid, right? Not a lot of sleep, right? <laughs> Not a lot of sleep, a lot of stress. It's that the other, and we had to kind of create a program that was fit that. And if I, if I didn't have those other key factors, now all of a sudden I'm writing a program that, um, you know, that, looks good on paper, but it's really not going to get them where they want to go. Right. Because it, remember like the template will also determine what your client's doing on each of their training days. And, and, and it will ensure you give them optimal recovery between their sessions with regards to like CNS demand. Right. Um, because that's the framework of the entire training program. Meaning, you know, if you got like three, like high CNS demand training sessions, for instance, for that, uh, for that, for the nurse, that might be, you know, that that's going to be tough to recover from, you know, initially you might have some, some success, but it, it's going to fall apart after that. Right. So you got to really take that into mind. So again, number step one is determining training template with those things that I mentioned there. And then step two is now inputting your methods, right? Now that you got a concise schedule, it's important to know what your methods will be that you give to the clients to give them the best chance of success. So these methods will be added to their schedule and based on their CNS demand, and there's gonna be have to be placed on the correct days, right? It, remember, all the available information that we discussed in part one is still relevant when choosing the right methods. Because, like for instance, if I know, you know, like hey, here's the schedule, and like, you know, Mondays are actually not the best day to have um, a lower body max effort day because on Sunday night usually there's a work schedule overnight. Okay, great. So even, you know, even though people are like, hey, do the hardest session first day of the week, for that person, it might not work well because we might have a full body repetition day on that day, right? Where yes, we might have a decent amount of volume, but like the, the CNS load is not going to be that much. It's more going to be like pump work. But then we know that Wednesday is a great day for them because they're more uh, refreshed. They're going to have a full night's sleep. And now Wednesday is going to be max effort. <laughs> lower body day, right? But if, if most programs, you'd be like, oh, but usually we do this. Yeah, but like you gotta, you gotta look at these, uh, these factors when you write a training program. So step two is inputting your methods. And, and, and again, for me, uh, which we're gonna talk about later, I love conjugate, right? So meaning I love max up, basically that, you know, the West Side system, which it's kind of like overplayed and not overplayed in a sense of, what I'm talking about is just organizing training in either max effort days, dynamic effort days, repetition effort days, right? And uh, I actually have now added something to my methodology, which I just call weak link training days. And I'll explain what that is. I, I have a new template that I really love using and it's been really successful um, and give you an example of that. Uh, step three then is exercise selection. So this is where you really get to have some fun with it. At least, you know, I, I think a lot of people, let's be honest, People, coaches like putting, I would say, exercises 
into the, the programs. I do, right? Like, and and I have, even though some people will say stuff like, oh, you know, looking at like uh, certain exercises on on YouTube or IG and, and then just taking them and using them as dumb. No, it's not. Like, because I, if you follow, I would say great practitioners, great coaches that do stuff in the real world and you see what you're they're doing and you understand frameworks. And, you know, I just, I, I, I was just, uh, you know, coaching Kaisen, and put some new stuff in her program based on some exercise I saw from my friends that are coaches that are doing great work. And I was like, oh, this fits great to develop, you know, for instance, first step explosiveness, right? So, and I like doing that. I think that, you know, I've been in a game for like 20 years and I still like doing that. If you're geeky about training, you know, um, everybody likes doing that, but you just don't want to switch it up all the time, right? You, we want to progress it and, and obviously in a, in a smart, progressive way in a program. But, you know, again, this is where you have fun. Step three is exercise selection. And going through your method, methods, you select the proper exercises that will correlate with the chosen methods that align both with chosen method and ability to client in, and then utilizing this programming that you built, right? So, and, and again, this is where to me, the athlete for life model comes into play where we're not, you know, force feeding specific exercises because they're supposed to be good, you know, barbell back squat or straight bar deadlift from the floor or, you know, whatever else or a barbell bench press, right? There's no mandatory exercises, right? So, so this is what, where exercise selection, I think comes into play and where we do a great job here at Vigor with, you know, getting folks in that are like, man, like I can't do this, but then we can still really get them strong. We can get them fast. We can get them explosive. We can, you know, get them feeling better with the right exercises. So make sure you take that into consideration, you know, exercise order here as well. We'll talk about that a little bit later as the goal of chosen exercise, continue, uh, you know, on, on a step four to see kind of like how this pans out. And like step four is this, okay. Um, think about it this way once. And, and I think a lot of people throw this further up, but this is your set rep scheme, right? Step four is where you determine the sets and reps, um, in the exercises. So now that you've determined the framework, the methods, it's important to program those methods optimally with correct sets, reps, and rest intervals, right? And this will make this will just ensure that your client's getting the most out of their programming, and it'll give them the quickest path to make positive changes. Again, this is thought through. Again, I wanted to give you a filter here, um, but only step four is once you start doing the reps and sets. I think a lot of people do that too early. And step five is collecting feedback, right? Look, you, you got it. Whatever you no matter how good you are at programming, okay, no matter how much experience you have, you have to have some form of feedback because the feedback loop helps you program better and make the changes so that the client gets better results, right? Because it's a feedback loop for both, for the client and for yourself as a coach. So what does the feedback loop do? Well, is the current schedule, the methods, and the volume appropriate for the respective client? Right, this part of the process involves direct communication with the client, collecting valuable feedback, and this could be offline or off online. Obviously, I'm a huge proponent of offline. I feel like it's the way you can get people best results, um, but I do think it can be done very, very well online. Um, I do some online coaching, very limited right now. Just take very few, uh, I would say, online coaching clients on. But I will be. You know, this is kind of like a little asterisk launching in the next month a athlete for life ongoing programming that's going to be very affordable um, in a community where not only you will be able to use my programs, uh, but you will also, you know, they're in, inside of the group that I built, 
we'll be able to be communication about it. Right. So uh, point being is like, you've got to get feedback. Right. So this process could be as simple as asking about how they're feeling, recovering, um, and then looking kind of like further into their compliance numbers. Are, are they missing more sessions than they're performing? If, if that's, if that's the case, it's your job to find out what the issue is, because in some instances, like just altering the training schedule is a simple fix and an easy way to increase compliance. Right. Um, again, like, if somebody like you, if you build a four day a week program and over the course of a month, months, you know, they're not, not like they're knocking out only two to three training sessions, you know, you know, it's smarter now to build a three day a week, maybe even a two day a week, uh, you know, in the gym. And then the third day is like at home, uh, at the home gym, you know, uh, one kettlebell type of deal program. Again, you got to find what they're going to do consistently. So this is very, very important, right? Because I, I, what I see a lot of times is coaches, you know, making programs and then the clients are not sticking to it and then going, oh, the client's not, you know, they're not committed. They're not doing what they're supposed to. They're lazy. And it's like, no, no, no. Like maybe you should look at like how you can make it better fit their schedule or, you know, their preferences or what is something that they can consistently do? Because I, I guarantee you this, let's say for four to six months, they're really consistent with twice a week strength training in the gym. And then like one, you know, one workout at home, that's a mix of repetition effort and conditioning. And in another conditioning session, um, after six months, they're going to want to add another one on because they got uh, confidence in, in, in being able to do um, those two sessions a week, right? Rather than going like giving them more and they're not doing it. Remember th th this kind of like chart that I've talked about before. If you make something too easy, then it's boring for people. If you make something too challenging, it makes it frustrating. So you got to find a sweet spot something that challenges them a little bit, but they can do and they can do consistently. So it's really important. Um, with that said, there's a what not to do programming process too, right? And I kind of just wrap this around a little bit, but the number one is don't project your goals on the clients, right? Your client's goals are separate from your own. And just because, you know, a particular training plan worked for you doesn't mean it's going to be the same for them, right? Just because you're super into, you know, speed training and all of a sudden you got clients doing tons of speed training and it's like, man, this is, they're not ready for that. Maybe they don't even want it. Um, you know, again, we'll talk about how to implement explosive, you know, kind of force curve uh, into, uh, I would say, your training programs. But uh, don't project, you know, oh, you're, you're doing a powerlifting meet. Everybody's powerlifting now. You know, you're into something. So you're just giving them more of that. Remove yourself from that and be as, you know, objective as you can be. Um, do not use a program you found online. Right. I mean, first of all, have pride in your programming. The programming process should be customized to the individual. Right. And that, you know, again, that's why hopefully you're listening to this podcast to also improve your programming skills, get some more insights and be able to do the best job for whether you're programming for yourself or your, for your client. Right. Just don't take the easy way out and use a cookie cutter program you find from, you know, anybody, some influencer or I guess some, even some, I, I think it's valuable to get programming from other coaches to learn, do it yourself, but don't just take that and then use it for your clients that are investing in you um, and entrusting you with that process that you'll do the best job possible. And, you know, using other people's programs for your individualized clients is not, is, is, is not building trust. Right. And then you're not honoring their investment of time, energy, and money into you. Okay. Um, number three, don't utilize the wrong modalities, right? 
And a lot of times when I ask coaches or gym owners uh, why their clients are doing high school gymnastics or Olympic lifting or powerlifting, you know, and I kind of get this answer, well, it's functional. Uh, but the reality is, unless your client wants to be a gymnast or Olympic lifter or powerlifter, you know, then it's not functional. They likely have like more modest goals, like looking better, feeling better, you know, feeling a little bit more like an athlete, be able to go pick, you know, play pickup ball and impress, you know, their, uh, their friends and have fun doing it and have the capability to do it, go on a long hike and not be crushed. Right. So there's a mismatch in the modalities. Right. And I've, I've seen that a lot. And too, you know, to be honest with you, if I go back 10 years, you know, maybe by in longer, I was stuck in some of those ways too. Like you learn something and then you're like, yeah, I'm going to show what I know. Um, and, and it's, but it's not the best, you know, it's like, you're, you're, you're basically projecting again, you're projecting your, maybe not just your goals, but like your knowledge onto your clients and using the wrong modality. So I, this really makes sure this is not a mismatch and really think about what's going to get them there uh, without, you know, beating them up. And like that, listen, are they going to do challenging training? Yes. Are they going to be uncomfortable? Yes. But not uncomfortable because they're getting beat up and their joints are getting beat up and there's, you know, sore for a week or have to take off, a, you know, a, a day of work because of soreness. And again, you know, they're doing stuff that like, how the risk to benefit ratio is not there. Okay. So let's just make, make sure that's a, that's a, what not to do for programming and like not knowing why this is another thing too. You know, I, I do it with my team. It's like when we do a lot of the instaps um, or I'm coaching one-on-one and it becomes, I ask why every single exercise and modality should have a clear why for its inclusion in the programming period. You know, you gotta be able to explain that to me or, you know, I believe if, if you don't have a why, that means you just throwing it in because it looks cool. It, you know, does this, that, or the other. So, you know, this is really important because it, it makes you have to answer it and think it through more objectively rather than uh, just again, like, you know, oh, I just put it in there because it's cool. It's an explosive exercise or, you know, this gets you stronger. It's got to, it's got to be a better, better answer to that. And I encourage clients to go like, Hey, look, you know, Oh, you know, like I said, there's three secrets to success that Dan John said to me was, which is like, show up. One is show up. Number two is don't quit. Number three is ask questions. So I always tell clients, Hey, if you got a question, please let me know. I love it when you ask questions, you know, to explain the why's behind, um, behind things like, uh, I would say this exercise or this methodology or this rep scheme or whatever it may be. Right. But you have to know it as a coach. And not only encourage people to ask you questions, but you be prepared to answer them. So going to the template, uh, or should I say templates, uh, the athlete for life is definitely, you know, I've always had the most, and I've done, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say over the last 30 years, because that's how long I've been strength training and I've been coaching for close to 20 now that I've done. I mean, you're talking like, different variables of block programming, just linear programming, undulating stuff, concurrent conjugate, like, and of course, all these names, it's all just progressive programming, essentially. It's all, it's all it means is like organized training. But I found the conjugate method for me and and, and my clients has been, and so malleable, right? It's, it's just one of the, for me, it's one of the best ways to do it. And I'll share with you, you know, different templates for if somebody's training four days a week, if somebody training three days a week, even if somebody's training twice a week, um, I'll share the different templates first, and then we'll kind of go into the breakdown of um, 
the training sessions with different examples or try to, like I said, run uh, through as much as possible. And uh, I said I was, I was going to keep it under an hour and a half, but like, let's, let's see if we can riff on this. Um, so num number one, like you have maximum effort method, which it's really a, for, for most of like say sub max, like a true maximum effort method in the conjugate training system is like doing one reps, right? Like when you're doing a one rep max, essentially over 90% at least um, in your training. And there's a specific way to do that. We don't do a lot of that to, to be honest, because we don't, you know, while we do some tests here and there, even the tests tend to be, you know, more of a three RM test on things like, uh, you know, squat variations or, or, uh, travel or deadlift variations or bench variations or something like that. So we really use sub max effort method, which to me is like that two to six rep range. Okay. Um, as kind of like the main driving force of that day, it doesn't mean that everything is going to be, um, two to six reps actually, but the main kind of lift is going to be, then there's dynamic effort method where we're going to do explosive things. Now there'd be a mix of different things that could be, you know, exercises on, uh, throughout the a force velocity curve, which could be things that are like more power based. We have med ball throws, scoop tosses, you know, squat and throw and sprint. Uh, we might be doing more strength speed work in a kind of 50 to 75% of max load range. So speed box squats, box squats, the bands with chains, deadlifts with chains, uh, you know, Olympic uh, lifting kind of like derivatives, right? Like a clean, uh, 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 we'll say hang, clean pull, hang, snatch, pull, trap bar, deadlift jumps, trap bar, deadlift high pulls, you know, uh, dumbbell squat jumps. Again, we're now going to the speed strength portion. Then we'll do pure, you know, plyometrics, bounce, sprints, hops, box jumps, which box jumps aren't true plyos, but either way, that that continuum of explosive work, plyometrics, uh, acceleration, deceleration work, that's going to be a, a chunk of the pie in the dynamic effort, you know, day. It's not going to be all of it. We're still going to do strength work and uh, and muscle building work. And then we have repetition effort method, which is, again, that's that 8 to 15, even 20 plus rep range, uh, depending. But we're going to focus more on time and attention, the pump and things of that nature. And again, I, like now I've added a weak link training day. Now, all weak link training day for me is it's not very CNS intensive, but it's working on weak links. And it's like more the foot, calves, Achilles, shoulders, you know, so think um, if we're working on like upper back arms, you know, we add more volume there. We might do hamstrings and quads, but it's going to be, it's going to be things like hamstring curls and knee extensions and specific like things that work on time and attention. And it's going to be, you know, like medium ish on the volume, but not very he heavy on the CNS loaded. Those are actually, uh, I would say training days you enjoy, even if you're, you're more tired, you enjoy going into them because you're going to leave uh, with a pump. You're going to leave like with stuff left in a tank. Now I've tested this week length training days now for nine, I was going to say nine, 10 months, uh, not just with myself, but with a ton of different clients, actually my whole template with the rugby team um, in a late off season and preseason has been that. And the feedback has been amazing. Not, not just the feedback from the players and the organization, but we just uh, ran Bronco tests and it just crushed the numbers. Some of the best, maybe the best performance numbers, uh, ever with the team. Um, and I attribute some of it to the template because it, you know, instead of it, uh, having a fourth hard day, they have a weekling training day. So those are kind of like my four and in a four day template, 
there's there's two options that I'll go with. It's like either uh, submax, lower effort method. I'm uh, sorry, um, lower body effort. We'll do a submaximum uh, effort for upper body. There'll be a dynamic effort for lower body, and then there'll be a dynamic slash rep repetition effort method for upper, or it'll just be repetition effort for upper. So that's that's one template, and then the other one will be submax lower body submax upper and then it'll be a full body dynamic effort right and then the fourth day will be weak link training and again it's interchangeable based on like what some people if some people want to you know uh don't want to work on athleticism as much we'll turn that dynamic effort method into a repetition effort method but still add like remember we're still adding like when, when I go through the template, you'll see we're, we're still adding explosive work on max effort days. So I love contrast training. So if you're doing a trap bar deadlift for, you know, four sets of four, you're going to, you're, you're going to do a set of trap bars and then you're going to go and do maybe a hurdle hop, low hurdle hop into a box jump, right? That might be the contrast set. So, and we'll talk a little bit about that as far as, um, uh, because, you know, we tend to, of course, we got to look at the goals, right? So we got to look at the goals. And if somebody is a, you know, static, I call it static versus dynamic proficient athlete, right? So the, the, the simplest example of this is if you have a dynamic proficient athlete, that's usually, you know, you look at a kid that's got really long Achilles tendon. They're not like strong, but like, man, they got balanced. They can jump up out of the gym. They're probably a dynamic proficient athlete. Like if you get them stronger, it's going to improve their performance. Then you got static proficient athletes that are strong, but they're not twitchy, right? They're not, a, they don't have good reactivity, elasticity, um, you know, this might be a person, like kid that's like, you know, 17, they squat 400, no problem, but they, they're slow to get up off the floor. Or, you know, they're not like really twitching explosive. Okay. That person might need, so that static proficient athlete might need more plyometrics, but the kid that work kid or just an, even an adult, that's more dynamic proficient. They might need more strength training and, and drop the, the plyometrics. And so that's going to also determine the templates, right? And, and again, even if this is general population, I'm going to make some of these uh, tests because if somebody comes to me and they're, you know, they're 50 and they're like, hey, I'm playing. And look, these are real examples, right? Like, hey, I'm playing soccer. Like I play a pretty high level soccer league, like just amateur. And, um, but man, I need to improve my explosiveness. I need to work this, that, and the other. Like, we'll see, right? do they need more? plyos and then you know we'll, we'll manage that within the program right so i just wanted to throw that in there because again it's those are the templates but there's still some decision making to make based on the goals of the client if there's a three-day-a-week program i will usually do a submax effort lower a submax effort uh upper and then a full body day dynamic or a full body like a you know you'd be a split of dynamic slash um repetition effort Right. And remember that, like, even our submax effort days, they have like, it's, it's not just it's strength training plus muscle building. I'll, I'll share with you the template in a little bit. Um, so that's my three day a week uh, split, my, my favorite one. And then there's also like there's a two day a week. Two day a week is almost always going to be, uh, I'll say, full body. Right. So it's going to be full body and it's going to have a mix of submax effort. And I like to have some dynamic effort on each day of those. And, and repetition too, right? I mean, that's the whole point of concurrent training in a sense. If we only have two days, we're going we're gonna to work on some of those properties in, in each of those training sessions. And uh, I do also, I would say uh, there are times where I'll do a, you know, push-pull legs and then arms or a push-pull leg 
legs and like weak link day. Uh, it's one, like I would say that that split is a, uh, one of my, one of the favorite splits of uh, one of my closest friends, Jay Ferruja, which I've started using years ago uh, for some of the clients as well. So again, this is template based and it, you know, how do you pick the templates? Well, you pick it based on a schedule and you pick it based, uh, you know, you pick it based on a goal on a training history, right? So there's a number of different things that you're going to use it for. And I've done a whole podcast on the R7 system. So remember, like, I'm not going to dive deep into it, but I will go over that R7, you know, that it's uh, something that Mike Robertson created. And it's basically a framework to look at every training session through the lens of R7 so that you include each one of these things. You know, R1 is release. That's your soft tissue work. That's your foam rolling, your lacrosse balls, you know, even massage guns, tempering. If you're doing like body tempering that like I like to do, um, you know, pain pill, like the Kabuki strength pain pills, anything that's going to, again, you know, release certain tissues that we want to, you know, bring the tone down. And I mean, that's a whole kind of podcast that I could go into uh, and probably will on how to use that and how we use it. Uh, but that would be one. And we tell, you know, we tell clients to come in and do that by themselves. If I have some, you know, pro athletes, usually I will do it. Like, for instance, I have some NFL guys come in. They come in early. I'll temper each one of them for about, you know, five to 10 minutes. Uh, usually posterior chain, I'll get their hamstrings, their calves, their glutes, their upper back. Boom, next guy goes. And then, you know, then they'll go into stuff like R2. R2 is a reset. And the reset is not only like, uh, a joint reset. It's also a nervous system reset. So most people that come in are pretty high strung and, um, you know, high heart rate, work, life stress, everything. So mo a reset for sure, almost always there's going to be one drill that's going to be a breathing drill, right? So we're just going to have them do box breathing. And a lot of times I like doing box breathing in a stretch position. So called positional stretching, right? So it might be a couch stretch where your back foot's up on a chair or, or on a box, right? You're, you're basically stretching your hip flexor per se. And we're going to do longer, you know, five second exhalation, five second hold, five second inhalation through the nose, five second hold. We're going to do that for six to eight breaths. Okay. So that's where the reset comes in. It might be some PRI, PRI exercises, some DNS exercises. Again, not to dive too much into the geeky stuff, but that's going to be one of two drills. So we might do some crawl patterns, some rolling patterns, and some breathing. Um, and again, so R1 is release. It's just soft tissue work. R2 is a reset. Mo again, most of the time, we're going to teach this to our clients, and they'll do that by themselves, right? And R3 is readiness. Readiness is pretty much, you know, your dynamic warm-ups. Right. This is where you're going to get the body prepared for the training. And, you know, we want to in increase. So what we want to do is we want to work on increasing core temperature, meaning the core temperature comes up. We get a little bit of a sweat going. That's one of the things we want to do during readiness. Number two, we want to improve uh, range of motion. So we're going to do mobility drills, active mobility drills here. And then we want to fire up the CNS. So we're going to also get that nervous system ramped up. And this is where we kind of do you know, some things like high knees, skips, jumps, hops um, at lower levels and progress them. So readiness is just, you know, per se, a dynamic warm up. Now, what we'll do in athlete, uh, athlete for life template is um, essentially like when people, you know, depending on what their training session is or what they need to work on, they just have a specific type of warm up, right? So if it's a day where they're going to be squatting, they're going to be doing a whole bunch of ankle mobility, hip drills, you know, obviously hamstring and glute activation. Um, 
and they're going to be actually squatting before they ever get to their squat. Forget about just the ramp up sets, but you know, goblet squat with prying their hips open. Uh, they're going to do hamstring roller. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about primer sets too, right? We're going to talk about the primer sets that I really love. I've actually, you know, in the last, I would say three to four years, I've used it more and more and more, uh, even because of my own training and feeling so much better when I do not only primer set, but uh, sometimes doing a reverse workout, which again, it's another method that we'll talk about in a second. But that's, you know, the R7 system where I'm going to run it through really quickly, right? So we got release, we got reset, R3 is readiness, R4 is reactive. So that means that's our, you know, we're always going to do, no matter what, like, again, even if this is a 60-year-old client, we're going to do something that's going to get, that's going to be reactive for them. You know, sometimes I'm throwing a balloon at somebody that's older to get them to react, you know, run and catch it, tap it back to me and we're playing games. Uh, we're going to have them do some type of slam, you know, med ball throws, foot fire, you know, maybe they're not sprinting yet, but they can do foot fire and eventually lifting their knees up higher. We'll do box jumps, but they might be very low boxes. We may be, we may do uh, explosive step-ups, right? Like there's, we might push the prowler fast. So remember, you're going to adjust that to the person, you know, with athletes, that reactive part is usually, is, it might be chaos training, which means that I'm like giving them a visual command or a verbal command or a kinesthetic command to sprint, right? So it's like, I, as soon as I touch them, they got to go turn around and sprint and catch a ball or something like that, right? Again, you could, this is, you know, we could go so deep into this, but my point being is we're doing reactive stuff with everybody, uh, no matter old, young or old, you know, and that's part of the athlete for life template, how much they're going to do. It depends. It depends on, you know, their goals. It depends on their training history. We went through kind of like the process of how we, we do this, um, and design programs. R5 is going to be resistance. So that's our strength training, right? That's our strength training. And, it, and this is why R7 is so malleable. Remember, right? Like, if, if you believe in a different type of training, R7 can work into that. So, you know, and, and again, I'm going to give you guys like the, the kind of a little bit of a breakdown of the strength training part. Um, the, uh, I would say the template that you can use, but this is why R7, you can look at the, you can look at through the filter of R7, just about any program, but R5 is resistance, right? So that's our obviously our strength training and everything that fits into that mold. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later. And then R6 is resilience. So that's our conditioning, right? Most of the time for most people, again, most of the time for most people, we're going to add conditioning into our strength training sessions. Um, I, you know, I'm a big believer. Like, again, we outline conditioning for folks. Most people need to do more zone two. It's just known as zone two now, like aerobic capacity work. And, um, you know, like, listen, I, I definitely think every single person should take Joel Jameson's uh, conditioning certification, right? Plug for my, one of my best friends, but best course in the planet, just to even really understand, you know, how to design conditioning programs. But in, even in a strength training day, we're doing some type of resilience, some type of conditioning. And then um, R7 is going to be recovery, right? So we want a person, once they're done with the session, again, we're going to do either box breathing again, some static stretching, some like low level cardio, like barely, you know, just 110 beats per minute, like calming down for five seconds, bringing their nervous system down. Uh, I think that's very important because you want to start recovering as soon as possible when you get done with the training session, right? We don't want people to, you know, crush a training session and then just hop in their car and continue to be stressed, right? So this is why this is important, okay? So that R7 model is, is very, very important. And this leads us into, you know, when I said 
R4, so I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a programming structure and sequence that you can use that essentially uh, is going to help you create a training session and obviously piece it all together. And then we'll talk a little bit about the differences if it's a, you know, submax effort day, if it's a dynamic effort day, if it is a repetition effort day. So let's dive into the sequencing. Okay, so R4 and R5 are, you know, those are the two that I kind of bundle together. And I'm going to share the sequencing with you because you've got your reactivity and then your resistance. Okay, so that's your strength training and all your kind of like, I would say, plyometrics, explosive work, you know, things that kind of move up and down that uh, strength speed continuum. So if it's a submax effort day, we will usually, you know, contrast. Uh, and again, you don't have to, uh, but I, I like to contrast a strength-based movement with an explosive movement. Now, uh, going back to if we had a uh, more static proficient athlete, here's where before we even go into the strength-based movement, we'll probably add something that's going to work on improving their athleticism. So low lateral, low hurdle hops, foot fire. Uh, it might be, you know, just low hurdle hops. It may be skater jumps. I mean, I'm giving you a lot of different examples. It's just going to depend on, again, the athlete. And we're going to add those in. And those are going to come before that strength-based movement, right? Uh, it could be, again, accelerations. It could be, you know, 10-yard accelerations with, with claps, with tennis ball throws. With That's what's going to go there. Okay, even though it's a submax effort day, right? Even though it's labeled as that, if we want them to do more work, to be more explosive and faster, then that's what we're going to work on. Then from there, we're going to our main strength-based movement, right? Now, uh, again, if we're looking at the main strength-based movement, let's look at some just some rules on this. Okay, don't ever sacrifice form for more load. All right. Because the thing is, I like I always say, like, there's there's th such a thing as a form PR, right? Uh, so, for example, if somebody's doing a front squat and they get 225 for three and rep two and three just are falling apart, but they still get it up. Right. And at the end of that program, you know, you, you, you basically talk to the client. You're like, hey, listen, we're not going to sacrifice form. We want crisp form. And then week two, they actually have to go down, right? So now they go to 205 to get a really crisp three reps. And as we work in that four-week block and that four-week program, in week four, they get 225 with three crisp reps. That's a huge improvement in my eyes, right? Because now they did three excellent reps with that same load that they were falling apart with, right? But so this is, you know, some of the rules in strength training is don't sacrifice form for, um, I would say, or more load and make sure that like you're open-minded to movement variables, right? Meaning, Hey, they can't do a back squat. Okay, cool. Let's do a safety bar back squat. Okay. That doesn't, that's not a good fit. Let's do a front squat or let's do a belt squat or let's do a double kettlebell squat. Right. And don't like, again, don't be like bought into barbell lifts. I have nothing. Uh, I have nothing against them by the way. Right. We use them all the time, but it's just, they're not a good fit for everybody at all times. And also make sure that you don't um, train to like failure all the time. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Right. But um, so when we go to our strength-based movement, 
if it's lower body day, again, that's going to be like, let's just take a trap bar deadlift, right? Let's take that as a, as a main lift. And as strength-based movement, as, as we said, is going to be in that two to six rep range, right? Because we're working the submax. Now, I personally almost always in the athlete for life model do a contrast set because it's just a great way of fitting in explosive work, plyo work. So let's say in this case, you know, we're going to go and do a trap bar deadlift for four sets of three reps. And we're going to contrast superset it with four sets of five box jumps, right? So we're going to work on rate of force development and get this person more explosive, this client more explosive, right? So remember, we talked about having first some type of plyometric movement if a plyometric speed, explosiveness movement, if they need more of that. And then we're going to contrast that uh, strength-based movement with something, again, fast, explosive, twitchy, okay? That's going to be part of our template. Then the third part, so, right, is going to be a supplement strength or a primary hypertrophy-based movement slash muscle building, right? Hypertrophy just means muscle building. So after we do our main strength-based movement, we're going to do a supplement strength or a primary muscle building one, right? So it depends what more of their goal is. In this case, for me, most of the time, I'm going to do something that's going to supplement that main strength movement. So if it was a trap bar deadlift, here, we might do a variation of a Bulgarian split squat. So let's just call it um, a, you know, dumbbell Bulgarian split squat. And we're going to do that for, in this phase, three sets of six, right? So we're going to go steady, still on a higher end of strength, but still strength and pretty damn heavy, right? We're going to go six reps here. After that, we're going to do a second secondary hypertrophy, so muscle-building-based movement, okay? Uh, most of the time, we're going to have something like that. Again, you know, some, some people say, depending on how much volume you're giving this person, this may be optional because none of this is set in stone. And we said, in the, uh, you know, at the beginning of when you design programs, being able to adjust if you're giving somebody too much volume. Uh, but for most people, we're going to have a, sec a secondary hypertrophy-based movement. So since we did a trap bar deadlift, we did a Bulgarian split squat, you know, this might be, let's say it's a person that's like, hey, listen, I want to build, build the glutes. This may be a, for instance, hip thrust with a two-second pause at the top. And that's going to be, um, I would say, for 10 to 12 reps because it's more in that, again, when we go into hypertrophy-based movements, we're going to be more in that eight to 15, sometimes more, um, but mo most of the time it's going to be that 8 to 15 range, 8 to 12 even more so, right? So let's like just refresh where we've been at. Right? We're going to create, first it's going to be a plyometric pri uh, slash power primer move movement. Then we're going to do a strength-based based movement that's going to be contrast with something explosive, fast, plyometric. After that, we're going to have a supplemental strength or hypertrophy-based movement, but most of the time for me it's going to be strength here. Then we're going to have a secondary muscle building movement here. Then we go and do something with a primary metabolic stress. Okay. Uh, and like, again, I like to do that for most of the, uh, when, we're, when we're doing either a submax effort day or when we're doing a repetition effort day, we're going to plug that in. And why, you know, what's the reason for it? Well, listen, most of the athlete for life template is like, hey, make you more athletic 
make you stronger, but also have you build lean muscle, right? That's the show on the go part of it, right? And we know that a mix of, I would say, mechanical tension and muscle damage and metabolic stress is ideal for building muscle, right? So we put metabolic stress in there. And also, look, it makes for most people, it does, you know, for, for most people to enjoy that, to have like a pump part, right? And a pump part means just like, they're getting pumped in, for instance, their ham, if it's a lower body day and their glutes and their hamstrings, um, it might be, you know, if, if it's upper body day, they do arm pump at the end, right? People love leaving like with the pump, like, let's be real. Arnold talked about it. I know I love doing it. Like top at level athletes love doing it. General clients love doing it. So it's part of the experience too, but it just makes sense. So primary metabolic stress, you know, and this may be, for instance, um, if we look at that, like these could be, uh, you know, hamstring curls superset with uh, like lateral band walks or, you know, uh, a seated three-way band abduction, right? If, it, if we're doing it for lower body, if we're talking about lower body. Then, so after that metabolic, primary metabolic stress, we may do a stretch-based movement. Now, so if you guys saw my Instagram, um, again, Instagram post, I usually leave that to the end. So that might be like a quasi-iso uh you know, Bulgarian split squat stretch. It may be um, an elevated pigeon that's loaded or we're doing for long periods of times and doing pails and rails, right? Because one, we, we know that uh, stretching can induce muscle building, right? Uh, Christian Thibodeau wrote a great article. Honestly, if you, uh, if you just Googled Christian Thibodeau and put like uh, loaded stretching, uh, you'd see a really excellent article with all the data and all the science behind it that, how it can be beneficial in inducing hypertrophy. It's, it's good for injury prevention. Uh, and it can even, uh, again, build strength in, in certain ranges of motion. So we're not always going to add that. If this is a beginner, it's probably not going to be in there. Uh, but somebody intermediate uh, will start doing that for sure. And there's tons of ways to do it. I just did actually an Instagram post with Kaisa where we're doing a bunch of those uh, different ones. And there's another post that I did where I'm using those, right? We're doing, I'm doing a loaded pigeon stretch with a kettlebell. Um, you know, I'm doing a static, like quasi ISO stretch for my, um, I would say to open up my hips, right? So there's a lot of different ways to do it. In upper body, you can go into like straddle push-up position and just hold that isometric. And as you can't hold it anymore, you're going to stretch into that, you know, I would say end range position, uh, it's called a quasi iso uh, isometric, and those are great. But then there's also like you know we can do different FRC pails and rails. There's a lot of different methodologies there. But uh, after the primary metabolic stress, at times we're going to put a stretch based movement in there, and uh, we'll finish with a finisher. Now finisher again, this can be like if it was a, a upper body day, it can be. 21s for the arms. It can be a mini density set for curls and tricep snap downs. It can be, uh, you know, sometimes it can be like, for instance, um, a kettlebell loaded conditioning, right? Where it, it kind of doubles up as the cardio and as a finisher. So there's a lot of different options that you have there that you can do, you know, leg matrixes. Um, you can do I would say sled stuff, you know, loaded carry variations. Okay, this will be part, like, and, and again, I also like doing postural finishers, which might be something like loaded kettlebell conditioning and, is, uh, and, and finisher that, that doubles up with that. 
And then the recovery part, most of the time will be, again, box breathing, getting people to calm down. But that that would be a model of, you know, your submax days, meaning let's run through it again. So again, there's something plyometric or explosive. If somebody needs that, that extra, then there's a strength-based movement that's going to be contrast with some type of explosive, fast plyometric movement. Then we have, we're going to have a supplemental strength exercise, a secondary hypertrophy-based movement. In this case, we're going to have a metabolic stress exercise. And then we may have a, a stretch-based movement followed by a finisher. So I'll give you a, a day on lower body that uh, what that would look like. So for example, we're going to have lateral low hurdle hops as that you know twitchy plyometric at first. Then we're going to have a trap bar deadlift that's superset and contrast set with a box jump. Then we're going to do Bulgarian split squat. So that's going to be four sets of three more on a, on a strength side. Then that Bulgarian split squat is going to be three sets of six dumbbells. Then we're going to have a hip thrust for three sets of 12 with a two-second pause at the top to get more tension out of it. Our metabol uh, primary metabolic stress is going to be hamstring curls for really high reps with an isometric pause at the end. And our stretch-based movement is going to be a, a loaded pigeon stretch, uh, elevated pigeon stretch with a KB. And we're going to hold that for like 75 to 90 seconds for just a set or two. And then our finisher, in, in this case, could be a set of a leg, leg matrix. So just a quick one. Leg matrix is 24 squats, 24 lunges, 24 squat jumps, 24 lunge jumps, just body weight as fast as you can and you record the time and then we'd progress it. Um, and again, if we if we were in this case doing cardio, uh, on a day like a lower body, a lower body submax day, I'd do something like explosive repeats with the sled. So 10 seconds, push the sled as fast as you can, 50 to 60 second break. And that would be your example for a lower body submax day. On a upper body submax day, I would, for, for example, if this person needed more athleticism, we would still add some, I would say, lower body fast stuff. So it might be, you know, that they're incorporating upper body into it too. So it might be a um, rotational throw against the wall, right, with a dynaball. But it could also be like, you know, a, a med ball throw and sprint. Again, if they need more of that frequency, we're going to put it in there. Then we're going to go and do our uh, main strength movement. So let's say in this one, this person has beat up shoulders and we're going to use the Cadillac bar or the neutral bar with a slight incline for the bench press. And again, we may choose to do uh, something explosive here too, which would be something like a med ball, you know, chest throw against the wall to do it explosively. So that's our contrast step. Then our supplement strength here is going to be um, a dumbbell alternating bench press. And that will be superset. And I, I do like supersetting this even just for, uh, again, for time purposes. And it will be superset with a second, secondary movement here, which is a strength or, or a muscle building movement. And in this case, let's say it's a T-bar row. So they're gonna, it's going to be a dumbbell alternating bench press. And then it's going to be a T-bar row. Right, and then when it comes to uh, our metabolic stress and uh, movement here, remember you don't have to like on an upper body day. I might go and do another couple of moves, so our, you know metabolic stress. I might replace that with more pulling because I, I want to do more pulling than pushing for most people. So apart from that T bar, we might now go a single arm cable row, right? And it might be a uh, 
a, basically a bench supported cable roll that's going to be superset with curls, right? So I'm going to pre-fatigue the shoulders, get some more arms in there. Um, and then we may do that stretch-based movement, which is a that quasi-iso push-up stretch. And for our cardio, we may do 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off of ropes, which still, again, we kind of get some of the metabolic stress. Uh, we can put that metabolic stress there in, in a cardio as a finisher uh, as well, as of course, that's going to get our heart rate up like pretty crazy. So that's an example of a submax, um, I would say upper body day. Now, if we were going to do, if we were going to do a dynamic effort, now we're just replacing what the strength-based movement is with something much faster. So that might be a speed bench press. It might be a, you know, Viking press or landmine press, push jerk or push press. It could be, uh, you know, I would say explosive sled rows. Also, you know, this is if I'm talking about upper body, right? Upper body dynamic effort day. Uh, you know, banded bench press. Bench press with chains for speed. Uh, I would say vertical dynaball throws or med ball throws just from the chest or somebody dropping a med ball or a dynaball from height as you're laying on the ground as you explosively throw it out. Plyometric push-ups. So instead of that main strength-based movement, now we do... I would say now we do something on that explosive continuum. On the lower body, same thing. It might be trap bar deadlift jumps. It may be dumbbell snatches contrast with broad jumps, right? Instead of the strength portion, now we insert working on that explosive part. But then, you know, uh, where there was a supplement strength, that's where we'd still add something like, you know, now we might do uh, three sets of, of five of a front squat, right? If it was a lower body day, we might add three sets of five, you know, neutral weighted chin-ups. Okay, we ju we're just flipping that, that main strength-based movement and we're replacing it with explosive exercises. Uh, again, it could be power, it could be strength speed, it could be speed strength. It just, it depends on, again, what that person needs to work on, but that's what we're gonna insert in there. Now, our, again, even on dynamic effort days, we're still going to do uh, strength and work certain patterns that we didn't on the other day. So, example, if, our trip bar, if we had a trap bar deadlift as our main strength exercise on the submax lower body day, then on our dynamic day, after we do our explosive exercises and plyometrics, then we might do a squat, right? Now, we're again, our volume is going to be lower. We'll do three sets of five, three sets of four, but we might do a front squat or a belt squat to move to, to basically work that squat pattern. Right. So just keep that in mind. And then we're still going to do, uh, I would say secondary hypertrophy, uh, exercises to build the weak links in this case. Again, when, you know, you can, you can interchange here, you know, whether you want to improve the, a certain, the strength of a certain pattern, or you want to build muscle. Again, this comes back down to the client, right? Whereas, you know, that's what we're interchanging in those dynamic effort days. And then on, uh, I would say, repetition effort days, well, the main movement right off the bat is going to go by pushing the reps, right? And we're going to get, our goal is going to be throughout that program to get rep PRs. But again, that might be that we're doing, you know, two sets of floor presses on an upper body day 
we're basically doing two sets of floor presses for as many reps as we can with a weight that we can do somewhere between 12 to 15 reps, right? And then we're pushing the hell out of that. Uh, and again, we're still going to have our supplement supplemental movements. We're still going to hit all the different movement patterns that we want to hit on, on those days. So we're going to have our, let's say we didn't have much uh, vertical pulling throughout the program. And then our, on our repetition effort day, we're going to do pike pull-ups or some type of regular pull-ups or lap pull-downs or single arm cable lap pull-downs, right? Because again, we want to, we want to make sure that we get all the main movement patterns in there. We want to have our squat. We want to have our hinge. We want to have our lunge. And, and on that single leg variation, we want, you know, we have single leg supported. We have single leg unsupported. We have elevation change, which are things like a step up, right? We want to include all of those and we want them in different directions, with an athlete for life model, we want to hit the both planes, right? Forward backs, which is our sagittal plane. We want to go side lunges, right? We wanted to go co-stack squats and transverse. And so we're looking throughout those, you know, whether, whether it's a three-day program or a four-day program, we want to make sure that we have that and that we have push-pull and that we have, you know, more vertical push and pull, uh, or should I say, I'm sorry, more horizontal push and pull than we do vertical. So we're going to have more horizontal rows, TRX rows, T-bar rows, one-arm dumbbell rows, cable rows, then we do pull-ups and pull-downs and things of that nature. Just because of most of the people that we see, the way that their posture is, right? We're going to do more face pulls. And um, there's going to be, you know, there's a bunch of different rules too, that at least for me in programming, uh, things like if, you know, for every kind of closed chain movement, so for every dumbbell bench press or bench press, there's got to be a push-up in the program, uh, at least one-to-one, you know, where the scapula moves. So meaning a push-up, a cable press, a landmine press, somewhere where the scapula can move because we want to have a healthy scapula, right? And again, we could dive into like a lot of minutia and details, which I, I feel like, you know, when it comes to program design, it does matter when we're programming for people that, uh, again, certain things may not work. So, but there's a lot of clients we have, like they don't touch the straight bar barbell bench press. But they will touch, you know, a neutral bar. They'll they'll touch a Cadillac bar because it feels good for them. But they're doing a lot of different push-up variations. They're doing cable presses. They're doing landmine presses, right? They're doing um, a lot of different. They're doing floor presses again with specific neutral bars because, you know, if it, they just have shoulder issues if they they do that regular thing. Well, that person maybe has a, a certain posture, so we're going to give them a whole bunch of mobility drills, and then they might be doing three days a week of face pulls. Uh, and it, that might even be plugged into their warmups, right? We're going to do uh, face pulls. We're going to do band pull-aparts. You know, we're going to do certain uh, FRC drills like black burns uh, and and end range liftoffs and things of that nature. And this brings me to, you know, because I, I wanted to uh, give frameworks, but also help understand that like nothing is set in stone. And the way that w- I like to look at, you know, this is is through different, lenses, right? We talked about the R7 lens, but then for instance, let's talk a little bit about primers and give you an example of a thing, something that I do a lot in my workouts. So imagine doing a regular dynamic warm-up that we just talked about. And I'm going to have a, uh, you know, one of the first, I would say exercises in my program is going to be a belt squat or a front squat. So what I'm going to do, and this is what makes me feel so much better, is a primer. And I may do a circuit of three different things. Calf raises, and my calf raises are going to be, 
you know, a controlled eccentric with a three to four second stretch at the bottom. It's going to be, uh, you know, Sorenix hamstring curl, that roller for the hamstrings. And none of these exercises I'm taking anywhere close to failure, right? But what am I doing? Like the calf raises are going to help me with my ankle mobility, right? Because if I'm pushing that heel to the, to the ground, I'm going to get a stretch in my calf, my Achilles. I'm going to keep pushing down. Then I'm going to go all the way up to my toes. Right? I'm going to get that full range of motion. I'm going to do that eight to 10 reps. I'm going to do 10 to 12 hamstring curls. And then I'm going to do some type of stability exercise, right? So maybe like a single leg RDL, not even with a lot of load, right? But just nice and controlled. I'm going to go down into the RDL, keep a nice posture, come up, drive that knee. And I'm going to do two circuits of that. Now, what's what's that going to do? Well, the, the calf raises are going to improve my, it's going to get blood in, into the joint. It's going to get the blood flowing. It's going to get the, uh, the muscles, the tendons warmed up. I'm going to get more range of motion. The hamstring, same thing. I'm going to basically get blood into that hamstring. I might even do some of those, uh, I would say, Peterson step step downs uh, for five, six reps per side, right? Get that VMO going. And then basically my RDL is just going to be single leg stability. Remember, that if we work on stability, the body, uh, the brain is like, okay, I'm stable. I'm, I'm, I'm going to produce more force. And it, that's going to take me maybe four to five minutes at, at most because I'm going to run like – do quality reps, but I'm going to run through it. So once I get to my squat, let's say I'm doing a front squat on that day, everything's going to feel so much better, right? So to me, that's like a little primer circuit um, for, for upper body day. Uh, I actually just, with one of the NFL guys, I just did this where we went into uh, the football bar bench press. That was the phase. But before he started, he did uh, 10 chest flies with the band, right? So we loop it around the rig. He does 10 to 12 nice and controlled flies. Then from there, he goes band pull-aparts for 10, and then he goes 10 dislocations over his head, nice and controlled, right? He can rip the band apart. And, you know, he was like, man, like the shoulders feel so good. Like when I'm pressing, that feels so much better. So not only was he, you know, it, like literally in week one, he's pressing more than he's been able to press in a long time because everything's warmed up. You know, he's doing that before every set, it's not fatiguing him so much that he can't, you know, produce force. It's just making his shoulders feel better. And I would say the rule here is I think it's good for everybody, but the longer that somebody's been training, the, the, the longer their training history, you know, if they play sports where it's impact sports, collision sports, like the rugby guys, like football players, um, you know, it's the the better it is to do that. And not only throw in primers, you know, that leads us to the reverse workout. Now, I, I know that I gave you like, hey, here's a framework that you can use for your programs on your program design. But, you know, here's here's the other part of this, okay, is why, you know, what I've been doing a lot of times now, like on my lower body day, is that I'll do the supplement strength movement before I do my main strength movement. So, for example, you know, and really the supplement movement can kind of become your main one. So, my, I, I would do dumbbell Bulgarian split squats and go heavy on them. Like, let's say I'm working on four sets of six. And, and after that, I'd go to a trap bar deadlift because my trap bar deadlift feels so much better after I do that single leg movement. And I'm going to go hard on that single leg movement, right? And for a lot of people that have been very beat up, they've gone through programs that, you know, uh, been in the game and it's like, you know, for 15 years, 10 years, whatever it may be, they've always started with bench press, started with back squats, started with deadlift off the floor. You know, then all of a sudden we have them doing a dumbbell bench press or, a, you know, we'll go uh, something like a, 
a chest fly on the cables with perfect form, constant time and attention, feeling great. Then they'll go to dumbbell bench press. Then they'll go to some type of barbell bench press variation, second or third. And the bench feels amazing. Now, are their numbers going to go down? Likely. Sometimes they actually haven't. They've gone up because they didn't feel nagging pain. They didn't feel issues. And they were able to actually produce more force because the brain's like, oh, this is good. This is safe. I have no pain. Remember, pain changes things. It changes movement. It downregulates force production. Uh, it restricts and ranges motion. Right. And that's why I think that my trap bar deadlift, like I'll, I'll go, you know, and lift more weight and feel better after I do a, do four, four tough sets of Bulgarian split squats. My trap bar deadlift is better than if I do my trap bar deadlift first. Now, this is because of, you know, I've had a, a history of some really serious back injuries. And after Bulgarians, like everything, you know, I've done my warm ups, I've done, you know, my primers, I do Bulgarians. By the time I get a trap bar, it feels great. Right. And then I'm like, my brain's like, all right, man, produce as much force as you want to. Right. So, so that, that's a, again, a strategy that really, really works. And if you no, know, so let's say, so let's say we do get somebody doing it that way uh, and they can't lift as much as they've done before. Here's what's cool about it. Like as they progress and lift more load, even though their main exercise is the second or third exercise, right? This would be the reverse workout. It's going to, like, oh, they're going to get stronger. They're going to build muscle. They're going to, improve performance they may just have to take that you know ego step back to go like oh i'm lifting you know 10 15 pounds less but but the thing is everybody buys into it because if they've been beat up nobody wants to be beat up nobody wants to have beat up shoulders and low back and cranky knees and so this reverse workout again it's a strategy and what i tend to find is again look certain certain ex like if somebody's younger they're in their 20s and they're feeling great hey do power primers you know uh, be smart and you can still do the strength-based movement after your primers first. But even if you did it second or third, it'll still be fine. But as as you kind of like, as you your training history, uh, it gets longer and, and, and you've you know been in the game for a while and you've had some issues, I, I've, I'm doing more and more programming for people doing this reverse workout and putting the kind of big lift, you know, whatever the big lift may be for them. Remember, we're also adjusting the big lift. We're changing the big lift. So it may, may not be barbell back squat. It might be a safety uh, bar squat to box. It might be a front squat. It might be a safety bar front squat. It might be a box squat, right? There's a lot of different options here. Um, not, not to mention that I use a lot of isometrics. Uh, I've, I've always been a fan of isometrics and where they plug in. But, you know, I would say in the last year, done a lot of research on with, uh, I would say what Alex Natera has been putting out. Uh, it's a great course he has on Sportsmith uh, about isometrics. It's the most in-depth course I've, I've, I've ever seen on it. Uh, it's, it. And it's very practical too. So been doing a lot of overcoming and, uh, and yielding isometrics and using them in different ways. And I'm feeling like even just me personally, but with a lot of athletes been using them and also clients that have nagging issues. They've been excellent in uh, plugging those in. So again, we've been doing isometric training with certain exercises before they go into their big lifts. And it, I've had a lot of success with it. And again, you know, I think that's very, very important that, you know, the, the anything that you learn theoretically, you apply. Uh, for me, the reason why I love still, you know, coaching uh, and being on the floor is because it allows me to you know, apply all these things that I'm learning and get feedback, not just from somebody saying like, hey, theoretically, this this makes sense. Like we're using it and we're seeing what works. We're getting feedback from the clients, from the from the athletes, from the coaches of the teams. And then we're able to 
uh, reflect on, you know, what worked, course correct, make some adjustments on that. So don't be afraid to, again, you know, I, w- I would strongly encourage you if you're somebody that's like had nagging issues with hips, low back, knees, and then we'll try to do this reverse workout where you're, you know, applying, I would say, smaller lifts, uh, you know, and, and like, for instance, maybe even a single joint, for example, you know, if, if you're doing a, a, um, a upper body day, doing something like a cable fly with a posterior, you know, either cable fly or posterior dumbbell um, shoulder raises and really getting that blood flow and, you know, 360 around the shoulders as well as the chest and then going into your bigger lift and then just see how it feels. Again, don't, you know, don't take my word for it. Um, there'll be people that will argue against this, whatnot. It's nothing is set in stone. This is why I'm giving you like frameworks and ways to look at this. But I, I promise you, like even for myself and for a lot of the clients, and um, if this has worked so well. And like, you know, shout out to, to Jay Ferruja because uh, he was the first person that kind of would, would show me this and we'd go through it. I'm like, oh man, like this, this does feel great. And, you know, spent years and years and years implementing this um, and kind of adapting it and implementing it to, into my own uh, framework. And it works. So it's, again, it's not a, it's not a, uh, I would say either or, it's, you know, this and that, just making sure to find um, who it works for the best. Now, here's, here's something that's separate, but not necessarily, um, it's separate, but it's not necessarily, it's separate from the actual training session, but it's not separate from the whole athlete for life model. And so one of those things is what I call movement hygiene. And I've talked about it on in a lot of places. I, I did a whole episode uh, on a model health show with, with Sean Stevenson talking about it. And, you know, the benefit of having five, 10, 15 minute movement hygiene per day, every day, you know, seven days a week, if you want to improve something that's bugging you. So for me, like, you know, this was by necessity because of my back injury, which was now 15, 16 years ago, really bad. I had femoral nerve entrapment. I mean, legitimately could, you know, insane pain. Uh, couldn't, I couldn't walk. My, my leg was so, uh, basically would go numb and I couldn't step through it. I had no reflex at the kneecap or at Achilles. And this was going on for months, you know, was, um, they were saying like, Hey, you're gonna have to have surgery on this. You know, I, I, I went on a mission to not have surgery, which I accomplished and learned from the best of the best in, in the world. And, um, I feel like really have a, a, a good grasp on back pain and, and working around it and improving it. Um, but you know, it, what, what happened is that like on a daily basis, you know, for a long time, it was like, if I did not do specific drills in the morning, you know, I would have a hard time. It was like throughout the day, I'd constantly have back pain and injuries and nerve stuff. And, you know, it was, it was just not great. And, you know, I, I basically, I later named it that, but it was because, um, uh, it's funny, like a dentist, it, it came like dentist was like, Hey, Luca, you know what? You don't need to brush your teeth. And I was like, what? Or you don't need to floss your teeth. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, yeah, if you don't eat, you don't need to floss your teeth or brush your teeth. But of course we eat. And it's just like, okay, you don't have to, you don't have to do movement drills and you don't have to move if you don't sit, right? It's fine. You can sit for a long time, but the more you sit and the more you kind of uh, are just like, you know, wrapped in like crappy positions, the more you got to move. There's nothing wrong with sitting, just the more you got to move. And for me, that was like on steroids because it's like I needed to do hip opening drills, you know, glute stretches, um, you know, core activation drills, 
opening up the hip flexors, uh, you know, strengthening specific things on the daily. And then it would be the difference between my back feeling normal or close to normal versus wrecked. And I have really quickly got a feedback loop, you know, like if you do this, your day is going to be much better. If you don't do this, your day is going to suck because you're going to be dealing with pain. You know, it took many years for me to be completely out of back pain, get back to kind of, you know, normal ish. And today it's like, I still, I just have to be smart about how I train, how I do things, but I pretty much am, you know, pain-free all the time, you know, and I can train hard and do all these things. I just got to be smart about it. Now, this brings me back to like uh, the athlete for life template. Every person that I train gets a movement hygiene template or, or movement hygiene practice. Now for different people, you know, some people have had labrum tears or cuff surgery or, you know, knee issues, they'll get a different movement hygiene to do every day. If they can do it multiple times a day. Excellent. We kind of find that out too. You know, it's, it's better to get two times, five minutes a day uh, every day than to get, you know, 10 minutes, two times a week. Right. So if they can practice the frequency of it, it's amazing after just weeks, but let alone 30 days, you know, where folks are just like, Oh my God, I feel so much better. And what it does is it's like, it improves their training because when you're doing, you know, thoracic rotation and extension drills, um, and doing cars, you know, uh, cars is just a method of, from uh, the functional range conditioning system to improve joint health, right? It's called uh, controlled articular rotations. It's a geeky word, but there's a system. There's a lot of videos I've shared on how to do it on my YouTube. Um, but, you know, we'll have people do shoulder cars and then, uh, you know, scapular cars. And it doesn't take a lot of time, you know, and they're doing windmills for their upper back and they're doing, you know, yoga pushups with the reaches and things of that nature. And three weeks in, four weeks in, it's like, hey, like, my nagging pain is gone. Like, Hey, this feels so much better there. You know, now all of a sudden this press that was kind of feeling icky is like, man, it feels great. I feel good about it. So that movement hygiene is a, is a part of the model. And it really, really, again, um, I, I highly encourage everybody to do it because the ROI on it is just so, so, so big. And uh, then uh, there's also like, you know, we have rebound workouts and rebound workouts, and something that my, my friend Joel Jameson popularized the name of it, but is a combination of, you know, reset drills, like breathing drills, mobility drills, and then uh, aerobic capacity work. Because again, most people don't do enough aerobic capacity work that, that helps you recover, but it also improves your, your uh, kind of aerobic foundation. And so, you know, I think that's been one of the most misleading things. Uh, we've had Joel on the show multiple times talking about this. We dove pretty deep into this, but is, uh, that, you know, cardio and that kind of zone two cardio now is popularized as zone two. Um, it, it was kind of, you know, shit on as far as like, first it was like, Oh, it's great for fat loss. Well, it's not really good for fat loss. Uh, it's a waste of time, but it's not like, it's incredibly important for health, right. For having, uh, first of all, the better your aerobic base is, you know, the, the aerobic system is the, the system of life, right. It's, mitochondria is the, basically the, the energy system of life. So we want to build it. We want to improve our cardio or our conditioning. And that's why cardio is extremely important. And there's, you know, protocols that we create for each client, depending on time they have, you know, goals, where they're at with their, their conditioning, but trying to find ways where they can do that zone two cardio. That's, you know, it, it's not, uh, they enjoy it. And, and rebound workouts, we do those 
in our gym as classes. So people come in, we do breathing drills, then we do mobility stuff and it's different modalities of mobility. We do a lot of FRC stuff. We do different flows that become, in, you know, it's an enjoying state. Then we go 30 minutes of aerobic, you know, kind of zone two, but we rotate it instead of just having like, Hey, go on a bike. It's like we start, you know, we, we, we do circuit stuff where they're doing uh, alternating step-ups and the Jacob's ladder and bikes and multi-directional sled work and like skipping drills. And they're constantly going for 30 minutes in that hundred, you know, 30 to 150 beats per minute zone. And then we do kind of like a cool down recovery. It's about an hour, it's an hour long and people leave and they've improved, you know, they've worked on their mobility. They've worked on their recovery. They worked on aerobic capacity uh, and they do it as part of a group. So that's even a way that, again, we plug that in. Uh, but it, it is, it's important because all these, especially as, you know, as you age, what we know is that endurance athletes, you know, live seven to eight years longer than the average human being. And that can't be said for, you know, other athletes. And just the studies show this again, uh, you can follow Joel's work on eight weeks out.com where he's, uh, you know, he's dove really deep into that. And I, I, I research all this stuff to make sure that I'm on top of all the information that's, uh, that's the most relevant and the best to keep us, you know, being able to be athletes for life. So, you know, how does that mean that you have to be an endurance athlete? No, but it means that we're going to implement some of these things into our programming because again, it's going to help people recover better. It's going to give them a, a, the more energy. It's going to help them bring their resting heart rate down. Not have them get as tired as possible. It helps you recover in between workouts. Cause remember we talked about at the beginning, like you have to make sure that people can recover from their training and it is strength and conditioning. And I think conditioning is put as a back burner. And I think it's just as important. Yes, I said it here, just as important. And I, again, the more that, I've, you know, the longer I've coached, the more people I've coached, uh, even for my own self, it's like I'm making a much bigger emphasis on conditioning. Joe would even say it's conditioning and strength. So you should fit in conditioning first and, uh, and strengthen afterwards. But uh, I think that they're equally important and managing those and plugging them in is very, very important. So, you know, what, what I tend to do in the strength sessions, and I mentioned this earlier in one of the examples, is that on the strength days, we'll do things for conditioning that is like either, you know, high intensity threshold work or, uh, or explosive repeats or things like that. But then on the other days, we're trying to do lower level aerobic capacity work and then fitting it into how uh, I would say the client can do it. You know, maybe they have a, a bike at home, listen to the podcast, watch TV, stay at 130, 40 beats per minute. Um, you know, have a heart rate monitor. Like I'm a big fan of, of Morpheus, obviously Joel's technology, which you can get at, you know, trainwithmorpheus.com. Highly recommend that. Um, and so we, you know, then we know zones that individualizes your, your, your zones based on your heart rate, based on your recovery, based on a, your HRV. So there's more and more of that. Well, again, I'm not crazy like to, to where like you put everything into technology and, um, you know, you just, you just follow the tech, but I think it can be useful for feedback and that's how we use it. And again, it's important. You can see kind of how this all pieces together. And today I really mostly talked about, you know, um, training and recovery to a degree of recovery. Right. But like our, the model, the force, the four things that we look at when it comes to um, athlete for life model ends up being training, recovery, nutrition, and mindset, right? In no particular order. Like each one of them is a puzzle piece to the whole 
And, um, and each one is a one that we address, but today I wanted to talk about the program design template for, um, I would say the athlete for life. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm at this year, I'm really diving into, you know, doing courses on these specific things. So there's going to be an athlete for, uh, for life course for program design, specifically kind of what wraps around the program design for this for coaches to be able to program with templates, with insights, with systems that you can use, because I want to continue to share more of this. And again, like there's a lot to share and I wanted to uh, start with this podcast episode and, and kind of give you the framework and, and what I'm looking at through the lens of athlete for life, uh, which again, you know, anybody that wants to, people have different goals, but what I found is that most people like they want to, like, even if their goal is fat loss and getting leaner and healthier, they'd like to be more athletic. They'd like to do more stuff. Now, athleticism might be like, you know, grabbing, like dropping down and grabbing their grandkid and, you know, tossing them up and catching them and feeling confident about that. It might be, you know, going playing pickup basketball once to twice a week and just being more conditioned and faster and more explosive than the others. And like, that makes you feel good because you love the game. You know, that that's shit. That's what it is for me. Like I'm, I'm still hooping. I'm actually getting back into hooping. Um, more and more, you know, it could be, you go for an eight mile hike, no problem, you know, and you're enjoying it. Cause you're not dying. Your knees aren't hurting. And you're like, you know, you got to rest the whole time. It could be, you know, flag football, tennis, squash, whatever it may be, but just having that feeling that you can do stuff that you're still an athlete, but you don't want to, but you don't want to have nagging pains and stuff hurting and like, you know, ice packs on you all the time. But guess what? You also like, who doesn't want to look great? Take off your shirt in the mirror. You're like, man, like I look like an athlete, but I, I feel like an athlete, but without the aches and pains, right? You got the show and the go. That's what it is. And it's, it's a little bit different what that means for everybody, but everybody, it, again, it should and want to be an athlete for life. And for what I've experienced in the people that I coach in all walks of life that they want to have that. So hopefully, you know, this uh, episode was helpful and giving more insight. I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you have questions about this, and more topics around this specific topics, um, you can email me at Luca, L-U-K-A, at hostofourperformance.com. So my last name, H-O-C-E-V-A-R, performance.com. Um, and my assistant will go through those and basically we'll use them for content in the next episodes. And with that said, um, a couple of different things. Like, listen, if, if you got benefit from this podcast, from this episode, I really appreciate, again, you know, uh, we we... Don't, we haven't had for like five years any sponsors on this podcast. And I didn't even shoot after any sponsors on this podcast, but with intention, we may have some in the future. But so the best way to spread, you know, and give, I would say, um, I, I would say if you if you loved it, you enjoyed it, got value from it. Uh, what I appreciate is that you share it. If you go leave a review um, on iTunes, Spotify, now it's on Spotify as well. And and just give feedback. I really appreciate that because the more people that can listen to it, the more people that I can help. Um, and that means the world to me. And I really, you know, you could be anywhere else right now. You're listening to this show. So I, I love and appreciate you for that. Seriously. And it's like, what keeps driving me? when I get feedback uh, from you guys about what's been really beneficial and helpful, it just drives me to continue to give and create more content, more valuable content for you guys. So share the show, go, uh, I would say like the show, give it a five star. If you thought it was, it was awesome. And, um, with that said, be on the lookout. If it's not already out small group, personal training mastery, that's dropping this week. 
Uh, again, it's going to be linked in the show notes, but if a little, little teaser, if you go to lucahostwar.com, you know, that's where all of these uh, courses and products will live. And I'm going to be creating more and more of them. And I love your feedback also on what you'd like to see more of. With that said, love and appreciate you. I will be doing an episode uh, next week. Stay tuned because uh, you're going to love to hear what I got coming on next week. It's about financial literacy for fit, fit pros. Um, a whole episode diving into that. And uh, I think you're going to love it. So talk to you soon. Peace out.